excited and glad to be with you again this morning. We are in Daniel chapter uh, chapters 10 to 12 this morning. Uh, and at the front, I just want to acknowledge these times we are in uh, are heavy. <laughs> I know that it's, it's weighing on some people. Uh, there was a author for the New York Times named Michelle Goldberg who said something uh, this last week that put our year 2020 into stark perspective for me. But she said that 2020 started off like 1974 with an impeachment crisis. It quickly became 1918 with a pandemic. And that then turned into 1929 with an economic crash. Uh, and it's now 1968 with massive urban unrest. I don't know about you, but, but I feel that. I know many of us feel the weight of that. The fractured nature of our civil society erupting into riots and violence in the midst of the pressure cooker that is stay-at-home orders and the economic stress. It can feel as if the world is burning down. Well, God in his providence has us in the book of Daniel for such a time as this. And this week we come to the end of the book. This is the send-off. We might ask, okay, how does the book end? We're going to find out. It ends with one more vision, one more conversation with an angel, and a final hope. Now chapters 10 to 12 are actually all, the, that includes this final vision. So we're going to take the whole thing all at once this week. I'm only going to read chapter 12, but we'll do a flyover of the other chapters. Now, get this. Here's the main point of what we're going to find this morning. Okay, The God who is sovereign over trouble is the God who will see you let me say that again. This is the main point. You get one thing this morning. Get this. The God who is sovereign over trouble is the God who will see you through it. Now, what we're going to find, here's our outline for this morning. We're going to uh, see this in the fact that Daniel is known and loved in chapter 10. That God's people will see trouble. We're going to see that in chapter 11. And lastly, Daniel and God's people will be raised to everlasting life. And that's chapter 12. Okay, so where are we as we come to chapter 10? Well, chapter 9, which we looked at two weeks ago, it ended with Daniel praying and asking God that, that the people of Israel, that God's people might go home to Israel. And the angel comes to him and tells him, yes, Daniel, they'll go, but home will not be home. Well, very soon after Daniel prayed this prayer, Cyrus, uh, the, the king of Persia, issued his decree allowing them to go back. And the first wave of exiles got ready to return to the city of God. We're told in Ezra chapter 2 that the group that went back had over 42,000 men, women, and children. With them went 200 singers and almost 10,000 animals for them to ride on. But Daniel, it seems, was not among them. Now, we can imagine Daniel in his 80s, standing at the gate, smiling at the people as they are setting out uh, on their journey. They're going to go the other way on the road that he was forced to walk many decades before when he was a young man. Perhaps he stood there watching them set out until all the people disappeared, until even the, so the sound of their songs uh, faded and they could no longer be heard. Now, it would have taken this traveling band uh, seven months before they reached their homeland. And it would be at least a year before news would have reached Daniel that the city was, it was being 
rebuilt. The city wall was beginning to be rebuilt and dedicated. And it would have been over at least two years before Daniel would have learned well, that the work had stalled because of more opposition and persecution. Well, around that time, in the third year of Cyrus, we find Daniel again fasting and praying, and that's when he has his final vision. What happens? Well, it begins with a startling encounter with an angel. He's described as this, this man dressed in linen hovering above, over a stream, and this vision terrifies Daniel. So three times the angel has to strengthen Daniel in order for him to hear the vision. Twice he tells Daniel that, Daniel, you are greatly loved. And twice he tells him not to fear because this message is coming from God and it's for their good. That's chapter 10. Well, in chapter 11, the angel will tell Daniel of many kings and kingdoms that will rise and fall. This is familiar territory if you've been with us for earlier chapters from Daniel. And again, the, the predictions are so specific that many look at it and say, this can't have been written by Daniel. It must be, you know, history. Someone after the fact wrote this. But I believe that this was, in fact, a vision given to Daniel. And there are, are great commentators that you can go and read after the fact if you're interested about exactly which king is which and, and who this is talking about. But towards the end of chapter 11, things begin to get a little murkier. As Daniel looks ahead, he's told about things that will unfold and be fulfilled over time and in a few different ways. It's as if he is, is looking at a, a landscape where there are multiple horizons that he's looking at, but they're being flattened into one picture that he sees. Throughout his vision, uh, we read in a few different places about the time of the end. Okay, And as we learned a few weeks ago, this applies to the end of these specific kings that he is, is seeing and are being mentioned in the vision, but it also can refer to the end of this world before God remakes it in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, the whole point of chapter 11 is that more trouble is ahead for God's people. They shouldn't be surprised by it when it comes. God has appointed the times and he will see them through it. All right, well, that's chapter 10 and 11. Let's now turn and read chapter 12 and then we'll dive in. Daniel chapter 12, as we're picking up the vision, the angel is speaking to Daniel. We're going to begin hearing his voice. So here it is, Daniel chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But that at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He, he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. 
I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, Oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. And church, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, okay, our main point again this morning. The God who is sovereign over trouble is the God who will see you through it. Here we go. Let's dive in uh, to our, our first point. Daniel is known and loved. We see this in chapter 10. So there Daniel is. He, he sees the angel and he's overcome with fear. But the angel comforts him. And strengthens him before giving him the message from God. But notice what the angel says. If you're not there, turn back to chapter 10. Look at verses 11 and 12. Okay, The angel says to Daniel, O Daniel, man greatly loved, I have been sent to you. Okay, just, just think about that for a second. Daniel is known. He's called by name and he is loved. Okay? O Daniel, man greatly loved. Verse 12, the angel says, Fear not, Daniel, your words have been heard. So get this, Daniel is, he's known, he's loved, he's seen and heard. God sends the angel because Daniel's prayers were heard. Now so far in Daniel, we saw chapter after chapter that the, the sovereign God is in control of the universe. He's over the rise and fall of kingdoms. He guides the future. He is big and powerful and wise. He's omnipotent and omniscient. But this God, this big, powerful, high God, this God knows Daniel by name. He sees Daniel and he loves Daniel and he hears Daniel. This big God is also near. Now, the big theological words for these two realities are transcendence and imminence. Okay? In general, to say that God is transcendent is to say that he is exalted above, beyond us. To say that God is imminent is to say that he is present in time and space, that he is near us. The God of the Bible has revealed himself, and, and he shows himself in these pages to be both transcendent and imminent. Now, this is most clearly seen and expressed beautifully in the incarnation where God became man at Christmas, where Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. And so Jesus, teaching his disciples in Matthew 6 about prayer, says this, he says, when you pray, go into your room and, and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. I love the intimacy expressed in seeing God as our Heavenly Father. Now, I, I know this may be a painful illustration for some of us, but for those who have good memories of their fathers, think back to your earliest memories of your dad. 
Hey, if you think back, you know, he, he was a giant. He was so big and, and strong and powerful, and he could protect you. And he was your dad. He loved you. You knew that you'd be okay because, well, because of dad. Now, that picture is a, is a small approximation of our God. The God of the universe is near. And Daniel is known and loved. And so are you. Now, time and again in our studies in Daniel, we have pointed out the truth that, that behind everything in this book, well, we find out that God reigns. He is in control. But that is particularly good news because that God also knows and sees and hears and loves you. Are you weary right now? Does it feel like in all this turmoil you're suffocating? Are you tired of the, the strife and the pain and the injustice and the complexity and the noise and the trouble in the world? Are you wondering where God is? Stop. Be still. And know that God is on his throne, but he is not far off. He sees all of this and he sees you. The God who is sovereign will see you through. The God who is, is sovereign over trouble, he will see you through it. And we can know this because Daniel is known and loved. And so are you. This brings us to, to our second point. God's people will see trouble. Now, the angel once again brings an alarming message. There is so much trouble ahead as the evil forces will wage war against each other and God's people get caught up in the middle of it. Some of God's people will fight and they get wrecked. And, and there's trouble ahead. The message of the angel, it's not, it's not a happy and vague message of, of a fortune cookie or a magic eight ball or your horoscope in the paper. No, it is sobering. And it knocks the wind out of Daniel. Now, God's ability to call his shot points to his sovereignty. He tells Daniel that, that these things will take place at their appointed time. But the truth of this message stands today. God's people will see trouble. On this side of eternity, on this side of the return of the king, we will see trials and tribulation. And so John 16, the, the night before he goes to the cross, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Or Peter, in his first letter, he writes to the church, he says, do not be surprised by the fiery tribal trial as if something strange is happening to you. No, God's people will see trouble. Now, our culture and our society has a vision of the world where things will get progressively better and better. A little education, a little enlightenment, a little government intervention, and we can fix the world. You know, we got rid of slavery, and so clearly we're better off today than we were back then. The problem is that sin still exists. And so we shouldn't be surprised when certain sins adapt and change, and then rear their ugly heads again. 
The sin of racism is so ugly, and it is real. Many of us have seen it on video a lot lately, in all of its beastliness, to use the language of Daniel. And while it should horrify us, and it should grieve us, and it should cause us to, to cry out for justice, it should not surprise us. Sin is real. And in this world, there will be trouble. Now, what are we supposed to do with this truth? I think that we get a hint of it in verses 32 to 35 of chapter 11. Look at those, verses 32 to 35. There we read that the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though they will suffer. And then it's, it's not totally clear what happens next, but the angel sums it up by saying that the wise will be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end. This is fascinating. The angel is describing all of the military exploits of these kings and kingdoms, all of the violence, and the people of God are supposed to stand firm and take action. But that action, that standing firm, is not military action, but moral action. They are to stand up through it, but also be sanctified. Church, we should pay attention to this. See, we can discuss and we can debate and we can disagree as to what the appropriate cultural engagement or course of action should be out there. But we can all agree that the trouble around us should cause us to seek wisdom and understanding and to seek to be refined and purified in here. When we see sin out there on display, it should cause us to flee to God for conviction and to pray with the psalmist, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. The angelic pronouncement of trouble ahead does not mean that we can just sit idly by or wringing our hands. No, it is a call to take sin seriously in all of its manifestations and to let the fire and the trouble of this world be a refining fire. The God who is sovereign over trouble will see you through it. So maybe you read in the CBR this week in Philippians chapter 1 that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God may want to be using this time to refine and purify your heart. The God who is sovereign over trouble will see you through it. We can know this because Daniel is known and loved, and so are you. And God's people will see trouble, and so will you. And lastly, part three, Daniel and God's people will be raised to everlasting life. Verses 1 to 4 of chapter 12 contain the clearest expression in all of the Old Testament of a literal bodily resurrection from the dead. Now, there are other passages that we could look to that also teach this in the Old Testament. Isaiah 26, 19, Ezekiel 37, or Psalms 16 or 73. But this passage reveals the promise of a bodily resurrection like no other. Just look again at verse 2. Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. There is a bodily resurrection coming. 
And at that point, the people of the earth will be separated, some to life and some to contempt. What that is describing is the coming judgment. This is what Jesus talks about in Matthew 25. It'll come up on the screen for you. It says this. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, obviously, we should see in this the promise of life for those who belong to God. But before we get there, we need to ponder this coming judgment. Because the coming judgment actually gives us tremendous resources for living right now. Now, If you read the New Testament, it's easy to read over it. But if you look for it, the coming judgment actually is all over the place. It's all throughout the New Testament. And it's there to encourage believers. Now, culturally speaking, we, you know, we know that we kind of recoil at this doctrine. We try to shy away from it. You know, maybe in your high school English class, junior year, you had to read, you know, Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You know, and you remember how your teacher, your classmates sneered at such a vision of God. You know, people might have said, you know, surely God is love, not some wrathful judge who casts people into hell. I could never believe in a God like that. Well, if we have swallowed that message, we are actually missing out on on a teaching that brought great comfort to the early church and great comfort to Daniel. Now, there's two encouragements here from the doctrine of the coming judgment. The coming judgment means that, that in the end, there will be complete and perfect justice. It means that in the end, all will be set right. Justice will be perfectly meted out. And again, that means two things for us. First, it gives us the resources to not only renounce violence, but also to passionately pursue justice now. The coming judgment gives us strength and encouragement to pursue justice now. What do I mean? Well, because when we do pursue justice, we won't become disillusioned or burned out when our efforts are thwarted or fall short. I have a, a good friend who works in the federal justice system, and he investigates and prosecutes some grisly crimes, some really gruesome stuff. And he's told me about some of his cases that he has to dig into the weeds and read all of the case files and the facts, and, and it's heavy, heart-wrenching stuff. And there's been times when he's really been burdened by it and said, man, you know, what does justice look like in this situation? We can't, we can't torture this person enough to make up for these bad things that they've done. But as we've talked, he has told me that he, well, he can rest in whatever justice he's able to achieve now, and he can get back to work tomorrow because he knows in the end, his efforts will be completed and fulfilled. In the end, perfect justice is coming. It will be done and meted out. And so he can work tirelessly now without burning out or getting disillusioned because that is coming. He knows that. So it gives us resources to pursue justice now, but also the fact that perfect justice is coming means that I don't need to take vengeance now. It gives me resources to pursue nonviolent action without retaliation. See, so many today, they are recoiling at the ugliness of racial sin. They are crying out for justice, and we should work for justice. 
But as we know, human courts, they often disappoint. And even when they get close, they're actually incapable of providing complete justice, complete restoration, complete shalom and wholeness. But a day is coming when there will be. There's a Christian, excuse me, well, he is a Christian, but also a Croatian theologian named Miroslav Volf. And back in the 90s, when the Yugoslavian wars were raging in his home country, including the the Bosnian genocide and the ethnic cleansing that was going on, he wrote a book called Exclusion and Embrace. And in that book, he argues that it's, it's only when you come to grips with a coming judgment and the perfect justice of God that you are able to pursue reconciliation and nonviolent action. He writes this, it's profound. He says, without entrusting oneself to the God who judges justly, it will hardly be possible to follow the crucified Messiah and to refuse to retaliate when abused. The certainty of God's just judgment at the end of history is the presupposition for the renunciation of violence in the middle of it. Let me say that again. It's thick, but it's so good. The certainty of God's just judgment at the end of history is the the presupposition, the ground, the foundation for saying no to violence in the middle of it. Because sin is beastly, because it is ugly, we are right to be angry when we see it and experience it. And we are right to want fairness, which can mean retaliation, striking back. So to read Jesus teach that we should turn the other cheek, well, it might seem foolish were it not for the knowledge that God sees all and in the end he will do right. Church. There will be a resurrection where Christ will call before him all people and administer perfect justice. But the promise of this passage is not just for judgment, but also for life, everlasting life. There is trouble now, but God will see them through to life. Not just a return to the land where they will be occupied by yet another beastly world power. No, God will raise them to life. They will truly and finally go home. Now, after this promise, another voice is heard in Daniel's vision and asks, how long? You know, maybe this is a heart cry. How long will this go on? When will this happen? Well, the answer, it's, of course, it's cryptic and confusing and Daniel doesn't understand and and that should give us Humility and pause before we say that we do. So Daniel asks a follow-up question. He says, well, what shall be the outcome of these things? He wants more information. Check out verse 9. God's messenger essentially says, yeah, you're not going to get more info. He says, go your way, Daniel, for, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. But get this. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Verse 12, blessed is he who waits. Verse 13, go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Church, that is the invitation embedded in the promise of resurrection life. We are called to go our way, to live our lives in light of this truth. We're called to to purify, be refined, again, to pursue sanctification. But the point is that we are getting ready for what is coming. We're getting ready for the kingdom. We're to wait, to live as those who are waiting. They are ready for the kingdom to come today, maybe tonight or tomorrow. 
but to continue to go our way to the end. Do you see it? Because of this promise of life, we work tirelessly now. Not expecting to create the kingdom, that's Jesus' job, but we can live kingdom lives now. We don't have to wait. We can pursue holiness now and sanctification now and justice now. All of the things we're going to live in that future world, we can begin to live now because we are preparing ourselves for what will be. And on this side of the resurrection, we can create little embassies of kingdom living. That's the church. Communities where, where kingdom life is on display. It's imperfect. We still sin against each other, but we can continue to pursue that kind of reconciliation, that kind of life, that kind of kingdom living. And then we can be ambassadors who go out and invite others into this way of living, this life in Christ. The angel says, go your way till the end. God will see you through. Now, throughout our time together this morning, I have pointed to our unique moment of unrest in our country. And for some, that is the profound trouble that you are enduring. But I know that at the same time, there are other troubles maybe compounding that weight. Maybe you are hanging on in a marriage that has seen trouble and you need God's strength to see you through. Maybe you're struggling with young kids or maybe adult children. You're struggling to have You're struggling with a particularly challenging child and and you're wearied and you need God's strength to see you through. Maybe your work has become a hostile environment and you're not sure how to to love your neighbor and keep your integrity and, and do good work and you need God's strength to see you through. Maybe you're walking with someone through a long illness and the tunnel is dark and there's no light at the end of it and you need God's strength to see you through. Maybe it's financial difficulty, death of a loved one, a broken relationship, loneliness, a besetting sin, or one of the innumerable troubles that we can face in this life. Church, hear the message, this portion of Daniel. The God who is sovereign over your trouble is the God who will see you through it. See, Daniel is known and loved, and so are you. God's people will see trouble, and so will you. Daniel and God's people will be raised to everlasting life. Will you? I mean, that is the question that is hanging on the end of this passage. At the resurrection, we're going to be raised to life, some to life and some to condemnation. Daniel will stand in his allotted place, in his inheritance at the end. He will get life. Will you? Chapter 12, verse 1 says, God's people will be delivered from this trouble. Everyone whose name is written in the book. You have to ask yourself, is your name written in the book? Friends, as we end our studies in the book of Daniel, we need to come back to the gospel yet again. See, left to ourselves, we all would stand condemned. We prayed it in chapter 9. To us belongs open shame and everlasting contempt. We all are, in fact, riddled with sin and undeserving of life. There's a story about G.K. Chesterton. It might be a legend, I don't know. But but in the early 1900s, as the story goes, a popular newspaper asked a bunch of public intellectuals to, to write in and answer one question. 
And the question is, what is wrong with the world? And as the story goes, G.K. Chesterton wrote back. He said, dear sirs, I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton. Okay, it's simple and profound, but it's the truth. What's wrong with the world? I am. Our problem is not the trouble out there. Our problem is the trouble in here. So the promise of perfect judgment and perfect justice in the end, every wrong set right, should actually terrify us as those who deserve that judgment. But for this, there was one who came and suffered the penalty for us by taking our sin upon himself and being crucified for us. He took the judgment and the condemnation for us. He will see us through all the trouble in this world because he saw our sin through to the end. So Colossians chapter 3 says, And you were dead in your trespasses. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it the cross. In the end, we all will be raised. And those who stand on their own, in their own righteousness, will be condemned. But those who have fled to Jesus and accepted his sacrifice on their behalf, accepted his righteousness, they're they're hidden in him and in his righteousness, they will live. The book of Daniel offers so much comfort, so much encouragement, so much strength for weary hearts, so much hope for those in times of trial. But in the end, it begs the reader to consider, where will you be standing in the end? When you are raised, what will be the future held out to you? Brothers and sisters, let us place our faith in him and be counted among those standing in their allotted place. Let us flee to Jesus. Let us see in his death, our death, and live the way he lived and sacrifice ourselves for others the way he did. And let us live in the confidence of these future promises and go our way till the end. Let me pray. God, would the truths that we find in your word shape us fashion us to be more like you. These days feel wearisome and troubled and difficult. Give us strength. Give us clarity of thought. Help us to see clearly what is going on. Help us to see clearly into our own hearts the sin that's there. Holy Spirit, we need you to to give us conviction, to enlighten our eyes to what is going on out there and in here. And then God, shape us to be your people, living in your kingdom in this world, bringing news, witnessing to the kingdom life that can be had under your rule and reign. Would we hold out a vision to this hurting and broken world of the life that you have set before us? And would we live into it?